and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Welcome to The Blaze, live and on demand. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. We have an extra for our first hour today. Uh, Shannon Joy, New York talk show host, is here with us because we'll be introducing the Dace Group here in just a few moments. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. The Dace Group coming up here in a matter of moments. Uh, Next hour, some feedback Friday. We'll go into what you've been emailing us and sending us over the last couple of weeks, get to as much of it as we possibly can. Uh, And and we're going to lead off Feedback Friday with uh, a truth bomb, a couple of them, actually, in response to yesterday's Theology Thursday. Got a lot of reaction. To this yesterday. So we'll talk a little bit about that coming up in the next hour as well. But first, we begin with the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was brought to you by our friends over at home. Title lock homeowners beware. Another massive data breach reported 24 million identities stolen. But you might think, hey, I've got identity theft protection. Doesn't mean you're not exposed if you're a homeowner to home title fraud. If you've got a mortgage, a refi or a HELOC through a major bank, that breach may have put you at risk of losing every dollar of equity in your home, maybe even the home itself. The data breach gives scammers everything they need to steal your home's title. They now have your identity information, so they just forge a signature as the seller, refi your home under a new name, take out loans on your home, for example, stick you then with the payment. So when you go to cash in on your most valuable investment, that home's equity, it's gone. It's been taken from you. Don't let that happen. Don't get shocked and stunned. Use our friends at Home Title Lock to protect your most valuable investment. It's just pennies a day. Puts a virtual barrier around your home's title if they indicate or see any sinister activity whatsoever. They are on it. And you can find out right now if your home's title is indeed vulnerable and or has already been targeted by scammers. Here's how. HomeTitleLock.com is the website. They'll give, it you, they'll give you a free title scan and report. They'll give it to you. See the first word there? Free. Normally that costs 100 bucks, but if you're part of our audience today at The Blaze, it is free for you at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Let's get to issue one. Red rum. It all started with this chilling video of Virginia delegate Kathy Tran. So how late in the third trimester would you be able to, to do that? You know, it's very unfortunate that our physicians, uh, witnesses, were not able to attend today to speak specifically. No, no, I'm talking about your bill. How late late in the third trimester could a a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental health of the the woman? Or physical health. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm Um, talking about the mental health. So, I mean, through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Okay. But to the end of the third trimester. Yep. I don't think we have a limit in the bill. So, um, yeah. 
where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth. She has physical signs of, um, that she is about to give a birth. Would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, the physician, and the woman would I understand make that. that. I'm point. asking if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that, yes. As if that wasn't bad enough, the following morning, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam said, hold my dead baby body parts. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I would tell you, one, uh, first thing I would say, this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done uh, with the consent uh, of, obviously, the, the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, so I think this was really blown out of proportion. Then Kathy Tran came out with a video wherein she basically says, I'm not advocating for third trimester abortions. I'm just advocating for them. Right now, Women are able to access an abortion in the later stages of pregnancy under certain conditions with the approval of medical doctors. I've done nothing to change that. What I have done is try to make sure that women are able to make these decisions and access these services in a timely manner. And Virginia's governor doubled down. Do you regret what you said yesterday or the way you said it? No, I don't. And you know, um, you know Alan, I appreciate the question. I, I'm a physician. Uh, I'm also the, the governor, um, but when I'm asked questions, uh, a lot of times it, it is put in the context of, of being a physician, uh, again, realizing you know, how we uh, approach, how we manage patients, how we offer advice and, and counseling. So, so no, I, I don't have any regrets. First question to the panel, true or false? Democrats going public with full bore infanticide. This is the second week in a row we've had this story. We talked about it in the context of Shannon's native New York and Andrew Cuomo last week. Democrats going public for full bore infanticide has more potential to turn the tide against child killing than the videos of Planned Parenthood peddling dead baby parts did a few years ago. Todd, I'll start with you. False. I, I was I was certain it was going to happen. During the videos, I remember our conversations. I've mentioned it on air before. I remember sitting in our old studio, Steve and I, and uh, former producer Rebecca. And I, when we realized the Republicans were going to do nothing, I just remember us looking at each other. The chill that came over the room. Uh, I, I won't be fooled again. I'll, serve, I'll I will pray for uh, a miracle, uh, but I I don't expect these. Have you? Has has there really been anything other than the default to the normal political? 
uh, corners. I, I haven't seen anybody there. There's there was the one uh, legislator who basically apologized. I didn't read the bill all the way through. So, but it, there was no grandstand on a moral uh, principle. So, Steve. One of the, when I was a listener, a friend of yours, but just a listener to this show, one of the things that has always stuck me that with me that you said that um, when things like this happen, people keep saying, "Well, if we don't do something now, it's going to really get worse. It's a sign of really bad things to come." And when you the first time I heard you say, "No, this this is a sign that the bad things it's got bad enough quite a while ago, and now this is a sign we are under judgment." Uh, I, I I think that that's the sound that keeps ringing in my ear and it's it it's we we are beyond hope in mere mortals outside of amazing grace to do anything about this yeah what you're talking about is in the middle of my career i went under when a just a radical paradigm shift and that i used to think exclusively think that if we as a culture did the kinds of things that we're talking about right now, we would therefore incur the wrath of God, basically. And then I studied Romans. And again, and when you read Romans 1 and you realize that there, there is some truth to that, yeah, but that it's all, it, it's, it can be absolutely just as true that a culture that succumbs to these things is is a sign that it's already under a judgment that that essentially providence's hand of restraint has been removed yes and 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 that your father your creator your heavenly father has decided if you are bound and determined to be an ingrate then so be it uh, good luck you, with you, that. Good luck with that. You are Burger King. Have it your way. I'm, I'm, I'm no longer yes. going to allow you to interrupt or disrupt what I'm doing in the bigger picture. And you have made your bed, and you will sleep in it. Now, you know, it, it, biblically and historically, both of these instances are portrayed. And you know, who knows? And I'm, I'm not. I don't know the mind of God. Uh, you know, on that intimate of a level and re- really wouldn't trust anybody who claimed that they did. So I don't know which in, in, in our culture's case, which it is, but the possibility of that totally blew my mind, you know, because it, it, if you, if you consider, if, if you, if you only consider doing these things will incur Providence's uh, discipline, then you'll, you'll pursue one particular strategy all the way through to try and avoid it, to thwart it at every turn, right? Mm-hmm. When you open your mind up to the possibility that these things happen in a culture because um, they are the judgment in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. And and if you look at the context of how Romans 1 describes that scenario, it is in the context of a systemic cultural collapse. Correct. You know, Paul lays out numerous symptoms of a culture that has been given over in this way, that is under the judgment of its own actions, that, that God has determined he will allow his natural law to enforce itself upon you. All right. Um, and, and it's not an isolated incident. You know, it's not, it's not the Israelites went down to the temple on the last Sabbath and then a whole bunch of them the next weekend went down to the Valley of Ben-Hinnom and threw their babies into the fire and God was like, enough. I'm, uh, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's on his way. That, that what Paul is describing is a more systemic, fundamental implosion of a culture and that these are the, the, the simultaneous signs. 
The it's fruits. Not, yes, it. yes, yes. And that's where you start. Your that's where. Yep. That that'll alter your line of thinking if you when you start considering that. Aaron, what say you? Yeah, there's. I, I think the answer to this question is false because the uh, former um, didn't uh, turn the tide, as you put it. I think, um, guys, the, the, the prosecutor for uh, against the Center for Medical Progress and David Daleiden, who produced those videos, is running for president, and I think she's probably the favorite right now. I don't, I don't know that for sure, but at least from my vantage point, it seems like she's got the most momentum so far. Um, secondarily. The reason why we're even talking about this right now, the reason why we're even having this conversation and having all this outrage is because we have not forced those who want this and are enabling it to answer the question of when life begins. Was it going to be no abortions after three months, no abortions after six months, no abortions after nine months? Okay, well, now that we haven't still haven't won the argument about where life begins, now that we're uh, starting starting to talk about infanticide, okay, well, is it a life if the parents make less than $50,000 a year? Is it a life if they're born in this area? Is it a life if it's a black or, uh, you know, a brown or a white child? This is the, and again, it's a slippery slope. Yes, English teachers everywhere uh, who want to talk about um, formal or, uh, you know, argumentative fallacies. Yes, this is a slippery slope argument. Uh, it's undefeated as far as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned. This is where we, this is what we have wrought by not forcing those who want this, by allowing those who want this type of practice to answer that question and have that argument. And it's not just because of people in Washington, the squishy Republicans. It's not just because of those. It's those who enable those and, and those people to exist. Uh, the right to national, I mean, national right to life. I, I, you know, applaud them this morning for standing up with uh, Ben Sass, but we've talked about them before. They're just a front for the Republican Party. It's those groups and it's people who keep voting for pe- for, for our representatives who say they're pro-life and then don't do a darn thing about it once they're actually in positions of power or positions of influence. That is the real problem. And yes, you are absolutely right that this has been a lot of grandstanding, but it's grandstanding of look at how bad those people are. Look at how bad they are. There's no, there's uh, not that I've seen anyway, at least from people in power or people with a lot of, um, you know, influence, there's not a whole lot of, this is why this is wrong. Uh, thus saith the Lord. There's not a whole lot of that. There's just a whole lot of this is terrible. The Democrats are so bad. As long as that's our argument, guys, we're just going to keep we're just going to keep the killing fields open. They're just going to remain open. Um, and we asked this question last week. Is abortion ever going to be outlawed or something to that effect? And as long as we do not demand that people who say they represent us and our values force the other side to have the argument that they do not want to have, this is going to continue, and we will have infanticide across the country. I guarantee you that. We have it now. Yeah. I mean, I've, well, I've been trying to tell this audience for years. There, that, as long it, as abortion is a thing, yeah, yeah. you have infanticide. If, 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 there, if you have an abortion clinic in your state, a woman can just go in and claim, I'm, I'm under mental anguish and I've been raped. And, and I mean, uh, what's funny is we're arguing about partial birth or late-term abortion and I, you know, I, again, I, this is another you know, thing I tried more in our audience for years. George W. Bush didn't ban late-term abortions, okay? 
They banned a method of it. They went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to ban one particular method of doing this. So uh, that was supposedly our big pro-life victory for the last 40 years, and it didn't ban a single abortion. However, Shannon, and I'll be fascinated to get your perspective in the state where this front was first opened up a week ago. I mean, as as Aaron was sitting here talking, I, I saw, you know, the Blaze feed shared Ashton Kutcher, the actor, sharing the video of the Down Syndrome Special Olympian that went viral last year when he testified in Congress about aborting Down Syndrome kids. He shared that video on his Facebook page to, you know, like 17 million people today and said, hey, every life is precious. They clearly are, if you look at the way the media, uh, the, the cable news networks other than Fox are ignoring the story altogether. Yep. The Washington Post and the New York Times is going with the Republican pounce storyline. This is clearly a losing debate for them. I don't think there's a, I think both things could be true. I think that this absolutely is a terrible uh, day for uh, the abortion industry. On the other hand, it could also be true that ultimately there may not be a political comeuppance if no one has the will, meaning that it's sort of like the townspeople saw the bank get robbed. They saw that you are the bank robber and everybody knows you're guilty, but there is no sheriff that that has the stones to walk in and arrest you for the crime everybody witnessed you committing. I could see both of these things being true, Shannon, but what say you? I think one of the problems here, I, I don't believe that there's going to be a political solution to the problem of abortion and, and infanticide. And the problem with our movement, the conservative movement, is that we have conferred our power as local activists to national organizations so that they will go into Washington, D.C. and create a political solution, which they will never, ever achieve because they don't have the will to do so. And so the idea here that I think, yes, I think that the the brutality of this infanticide and statements of the Democrats in this testimony can do much to bring people into this discussion that might not ever have um, joined this discussion. I know here in New York, I've had I've had dozens, I mean, of, of comments from liberal Democrat friends who are appalled by this. And so, you know, the the national right to life movement, March for Life, Stephen Erdahl, who is, um, you know, the head of Life News, I've sparred with him on Twitter before and calling out the Republicans and also pro-life groups for refusing. I mean, they're essentially they're absolute hypocrites. Um, they will decry, they'll cry crocodile tears. You'll hear it on right wing top radio, Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh over this horrible, horrible legislation in New York. Yet they forget where these brutal murders will occur. They'll occur in Planned Parenthood facilities that Republicans increased funding to $20 million in the 2017 budget. And so in order to fight this battle, we have to go back to that grassroots organization. What I said to Stephen Ertl in an angry tweet after going back and forth with him because he refused to call out the Republicans or the president in the first two years, I said, you know what, buddy, despite all of your your good intentions, y'all are losers. All you do is lose in Washington, D.C. For 20 years, you've lost every major battle. And so all of your time and energy spent sidling up to to positions of power and raising money and distracting your constituency, you might as well pack it up, leave Washington, D.C., go home, start a crisis, crisis pregnancy center in your own town or village, and you'll probably save more babies doing that. And so the the discussion about 
about abortion, number one has to begin. It's got to start at the local level. We have to begin to be to become brave and and engage direct action type of engagement that Martin Luther King, we have to force very uncomfortable conversations. That's why that testimony from Tran was so compelling. It was because there was one Republican who forced a very uncomfortable mm -hmm. encounter. And we, we, we have to begin to do that. And we have to do it at the local level. Forget everything political. It's never going to happen. But we can change hearts and minds locally. And it begins to happen in the states that are the worst. New York State is where the battle will be. And hopefully people will begin to to change their tactics and their strategies and, and begin to affect hearts and minds. All right, quickly, true or false? And I just want a true or false. By declaring war on babies, Democrats largely undid the damage Trump did to himself by caving on the shutdown. Todd? False as it stands. Shannon? False. Todd? Or I'm sorry, Aaron? False. Um... I'm going to pull McLaughlin. You're all wrong. The answer is true. Uh, issue two, Howard Schultz. Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz is apparently exploring an independent bid for president of the United States. This exploratory phase didn't exactly get off to the best of starts. I am seriously considering running for president as a centrist independent. And I wanted to clarify the word independent, which I view uh, merely as a designation on the ballot. And Don't what, help elect Trump, you egotistical billionaire And he also says stuff like this. So, so Republicans want border security. I agree with that. The Democrats, in a sense, want to get rid of ICE. I think that's, that's wrong. We, we need border patrol because bad people do want to come in. And he also disagrees with the left's new socialist darling, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Her, her, uh, her advisor says that every billionaire, and you are one of them, is a policy failure. Meaning that the, the, the capitalistic society that we live in today is, is, is improperly structured, and that actually your success uh, or, and, and becoming a billionaire um, is a failure of the system. What do you think of that? It's so un-American to think that way. First off, uh, I'm self-made. Uh, as you said, I, I, I came from the projects and took advantage of the promise of the country. I'm living proof of the American dream and the aspiration, the magnetism, uh, and then the opportunities that were presented to me. Yeah, he's got no base. All right, so I've got an article up today at Conservative Review with like actual data and stuff to reinforce what I said about this earlier this week, that Howard Schultz is not going to hurt the Democrats. First of all, he's not going to be on the ballot when we get to 2020. But if he were, he's actually, he could only hurt Trump if he had any impact whatsoever. And I lay it out in all the data uh, in, in today's Conservative Review. But you guys are each welcome to your own opinion, so we'll start with that. True or false? Howard Schultz being on the ballot actually hurts Trump more than whoever the Democratic nominee is. Todd? Uh, this is true. This is one of those things. I always think it's funny when Aaron or I ask you about a particular thing and you like, I I just don't care right now. I don't have enough energy. Like, I've got too many other irons in the fire. That's how I was when I, like, Howard Schultz, I don't care. But then when you talked about this, it is not only true. It's so self-evidently 
true once you give it a moment's thought and then you keep adding data upon data. Steve, reading your story, the one I will point it out to flesh it out more specifically, your your the end of your second point about what would happen, I believe, in New yeah, York let, State. Like if you let's say he's Ross Perot, he he won't be that strong. But let's say that he is. Okay, and and he got twenty percent of the vote in New York State, like Ross Perot did in nineteen ninety two, which would be an incredible number. All right, so if he got twenty percent of the vote, and let's say the exit poll showed seventy five percent of that were people that otherwise would have voted for Trump, which it won't be, but that's why I chose an obscenely right. large number to make my point. Right. If you do the math, Trump would still lose the state by more than nine hundred and ninety nine thousand votes. I, I mean, so if you if you look at where his voting block is located, Shannon, it's it, there are two kinds of people who would vote for Howard Schultz. One is a Democrat in a state like yours where the Democrats can't lose no matter how who they nominate. They're going to win your state. And the second is out in the suburbs, affluent neighborhoods, women, uh, suburban women. The Republicans just lost him in the midterms by eight points after winning them in 2010, 2014 and 2016. OK, so. That's your typical Starbucks customer. I, I don't know where any of this conventional wisdom that Howard Schultz running is bad for Democrats comes from. I have no idea. In fact, it's a lot of it's actually come the, the Democrat media is promoting this notion, too. So I don't know. But we're short on time, Shannon. You have a quick thought on this. Uh, yeah, it's an impossible to say. It depends on the candidate. There was an interesting Rasmussen poll that points to a larger trend, which I think is encapsulated in this discussion. Um, if people were given a choice over Donald Trump, a centrist Democrat or a third party, according to this poll, uh, 29% would go with a third party. So I think that Howard Schultz is not the guy. Clearly, he's not officially in the race. He has absolutely no platform and he's just not any good. But uh, there is a mood in the country that I believe is ready for a new second party. And uh, as we see baby boomers age out, they are the ones who are very sticky. They are the ones who will cling to a D or an R. As we move into the millennials and the Gen Xers, they're not as sticky. They're ready for an independent Agreed. candidate. Yeah, the market. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Aaron? You have a quick thought? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think you know those two clips um, that I played at the end. That that I think makes the case uh, that you were making earlier this week better than anybody. People in suburbia who just can't stand Trump's shit. Yeah, he gets the Charlie Sykes he gets vote. Those, yeah, he gets yeah. those votes pretty easily. Mm -hmm. uh, but those two clips also turn off any uh, attempt at, at a, a left of center base yeah, at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and of course, as Shannon just uh, noted as well, uh, the people who tend to be in the older generations are more sticky. So on the right of center, he doesn't have a base. Nobody's, what I'm trying to say, nobody's going to go out and knock on the door for him, but he's just likable and just kind of squishy enough um, that I think it will do enough damage. Not a ton. He's not going to be Ross Perot, as you just noted, but he's going. he could do enough damage to really hurt Trump come 2020. True or false, Howard Schultz, exit question. True or false, Howard Schultz will not be on the 2020 presidential ballot, nor will any other viable independent candidate, Todd. True. Shannon? True. 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 If you are in the market for a new home this year, um, thinking of buying or selling for that matter, uh, you want to check out realestateagentsitrust.com. That's a, a company and a website started by Glenn Beck and some of his uh, associates a few years ago. And they, they started this up because they were getting really frustrated by the real estate uh, agent market, uh, the inability for folks who talked a good game to ultimately get the job done. And if you've joined a lot of other real estate agent referral sites or looked at them in the past, what, what you'll notice is they're basically an attempt for the agent to find a customer.
In this case, this is about the customer finding the right agent. It's about empowering you, uh, the one that uh, ultimately has everything on the line, whether you're buying, selling, or the even more stressful selling and buying all at the same time. Uh, so this is where agents willingly offer themselves up to accountability. You've heard me talk in the past. If I have to chase down a politician running for office, every time I've ever done it, they've sucked. When I finally landed them, that's why I've stopped doing it. In the, all right, so if, if the fact that you've got agents around the country who are saying, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to be held to accountability, that's a pretty good first step in your vetting process, all right? So check out the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. It is the best way to buy or sell your home this year, realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, so we went through Howard Schultz, uh, and we went through... The second week in a row, the Democrats are openly now advocating murder. Um, next week, we are going to have a State of the Union address. And it's weird that it's like this. First, does it seem like a Super Bowl's coming up on Sunday to you? Not really. No. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of hype or anything of that nature. Um, and a, the, the, a week and a half battle of, will Trump get to give the State of the Union or not? And will Nancy Pelosi cave or Trump next or first? Does it does it seem like this is coming up on Tuesday that we had all this huge no. hullabaloo about? No, it, it's weird. It doesn't seem like that at all. But still, this is one of the biggest platforms, one of the biggest bully pulpits that any president, well, anybody on planet Earth, but especially any president of the United States could have. So I thought it would be interesting when we come back. Uh, I thought it would be interesting if we opened up the State of the Union as a topic, not retroactively analyzing what the president said after the fact, but preemptively. What would we like to hear him say? What would we recommend that he say to the nation on Tuesday? We'll do that next here on The Blaze. Stay tuned. Hey, when was the last time you had your ears professionally cleaned? Have you ever? Uh, Particularly this time of year. Uh, Itchy ears, uh, ear pain, maybe that plugged up feeling. Um, Maybe you're asking people to constantly repeat themselves. If these problems sound familiar, you could be like millions of Americans. Forced to go to the doctor for a professional ear cleaning, but now you can get the same results in the comfort and convenience of your own home. With Wax RX, it uses a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then will soothe the ear with a pH-conditioned formula. And now you can use WaxRx without a prescription. No more expensive trips to the doctor, no more time waiting in the lobby, um, or even you know going to the store and getting cotton swabs or some other solution that really won't solve anything. Try the WaxRx system risk-free today. To do so, just go to usewaxrx.com. That's the website, usewaxrx.com. And while you're there, use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. That's usewaxrx.com, usewaxrx.com, promo code radio for free shipping. Back to the Dace Group here, live and on demand on The Blaze. Todd, Aaron, and Shannon are standing by to tell us what they think about issue three, the State of the Union. Nancy Pelosi followed through on her promise to allow Donald Trump to give the State of the Union address, which he will deliver on February the 5th. Here's what I would like to see in this speech. Blood alone moves the wheels of history. 
Have you ever asked yourselves in an hour of meditation, which everyone finds during the day, how long we have been striving for greatness? Not only the years we've been at war, the war of work, but from the moment, as a child, when we realized that the world could be conquered. It has been a lifetime struggle, a never-ending fight, I say to you, and you will understand that it is a privilege to fight. We are warriors! Salesmen of Northeastern Pennsylvania, I ask you, once more rise and be worthy of this historical hour. <laughs> First question. Hopefully it's better than that. Um, what would you like to hear from Dwight? I'm sorry, uh, from uh, President Trump on to tonight. Shannon, I'll start with you. I like that one better. I like that one better than my answer. But listen, I, okay, but I'm going to preface my, my answer with, I know this is unicorns and lollipops and this will never happen, but I took your question seriously and thought to myself, what would I want? Honestly, someone like me, I'm a skeptic when it comes to Trump. What would I want to see him say at the state of the union? And I think for him in, in my perfect world, he would get up and he would acknowledge the failures of the last couple of years of his presidency, acknowledge that they haven't had a legislative win since since the tax cuts and and really, um, you know, own them and say and tell the, the, the people of this country that he made some strategic errors in the beginning of his presidency, aligning with Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan rather than the conservative base um, and that that alignment didn't allow him to fill his promises on securing the border, repealing Obamacare, defunding Planned Parenthood, getting rid of Common Core, so on and so forth, and then make a commitment, I think, to the American people to, to number one, first and foremost, even though they're not going to be able to get anything done legislatively because of the, the uh, Democrat control of the House, absolutely build that wall. Put every single effort into building the wall. If it means he takes the military down and he gets it done or he declares a national emergency, make that his number one priority. His number one, two priority should be changing alliances, getting rid of all the Obama holdovers in his cabinet, firing Jared Kushner, abandoning his alliance with with the swampy Mitch McConnell types and going in and fighting in primaries to win back the Republican House. Um, I think that would be something that could rally the base. And even though he won't be able to make good on any of those other bigger promises, if he can get a wall built, then he might have a shot of taking back the House and also the presidency. But alas, again, like I said, that's Rainbow's Unicorns. I like Aaron's better. <laughs> Todd? It's still the same. Uh, the hard part about uh, playing chicken is knowing when to flinch. And I really keep saying that uh, makes me uh, want to watch Hunt for Red October all the more. I got to rent that. Uh, listen, it, he needs to have actionable steps on what he is going to do about Planned Parenthood. And uh, when the end of the three weeks comes down on the uh, budget uh, extension and what he will be doing then, uh, something that forces the D Democrats to react with more than rhetoric, something that uh, points the gun at them and says, this is how this is going to go, uh, that everything short of that is going to be a failure. And he may fail at that, but at the very least, he needs to he needs to realize uh, 
as Steve has said for a couple weeks now, this is the defining moment of his presidency. He needs to understand it himself, show you that he understands it, and show you that this is what he's going to do about it. Aaron, is the uh, clip of Dwight your final answer? No. Okay. No, it's not. I just... We need things to laugh at. I hear you. pretend to laugh at every now and then. And no, by the way, I'd have been fine if it was. I just wanted to give you the chance in case it was not. No, no so, I got you. Okay. Um, here's, here's seriously what I, I would like to see. And I, I kind of previewed this a few weeks ago during the shutdown fight. We, we live in a culture, and we talk about this all the time. We live in a culture um, that you have – when, when you're making an argument, you just can't come up with the facts and the figures and the logic and say, this is the logical thing to do. When you're talking about, Steve, you you put out a roadmap for just a political, not saying that we're uh, Trumpistas now, but just a political roadmap for Trump to have a chance in 2020. Um, there are two paths, and one of them is a national mandate, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he has an opportunity to start that here. He needs, if if this is the if this is going to be primarily about the wall, and that's going to be the main thrust of his speech, he needs to start out just telling a story about. Uh, a beautiful, whether it's Kate Steinle or Molly Tiblets, tell a story, a tragic story, about uh, uh, somebody whose uh, life has been uh, snuffed out by an illegal alien. Mm-hmm. And then he needs to read the names of maybe in the last year or the last like two that. years yep. of every single person who has been killed by illegal aliens. Yeah. And then he needs to pause for a, a very pregnant uh, 15 or 20 seconds as a moment of silence for those people. You're getting, you're tugging on the heartstrings yep. of all America. Yep. And then you go, then you make your sales pitch for what you actually need. That's how you start a national mandate. There's a Politico story out this morning uh, that says he's going to talk about implementing uh, uh, talking points about abortion as well. Get a national mandate started on that too. I, I mean, you've you've been handed this on a silver platter. You can do the same type of tactic with that subject as well. So I he needs whatever he does though. And I think he's it's obviously going to be a lot about the uh the wall. He needs to start with the emotion, lead with the emotion, really play it up. And I'm I'm saying just from I I don't think he he's we've talked about this before and I can't believe I have to keep qualifying this. He's a he's a um a world view. He doesn't I don't think he really has a world view. But as a vehicle for ours, this is what I'm saying. This this is what I would like him to do. Let's reverse it. What is it you are concerned he's going to say Tuesday? That if you had a room alone with him and said, whatever you do, don't blank. What would that be, Todd? <sighs> uh, whatever. You... Listen, he's going to mention the economy. We just... Uh, just found out the uh, what jobs numbers? Jobs numbers, yeah, they're about twice the what the forecast was for new jobs in January. Yes, he he should he probably should get things going um, by leading with that. Uh, that's fine, but if he does that and kind of just goes full mega in that regard and only yeah. limply alludes uh, to what we're talking about with both the uh, border. Uh, and life, um, I guess. That, I mean, he's going to say things that are going to make me cringe. That's just going to happen. But if he does not get this moment right now, either morally and or politically, if he's that tone deaf, 
the heck with him. Shannon, same question to you. What is it you're concerned he's going to say on Tuesday that if you were alone with him in a room, you'd be like, Ixnay, what is it? I think he's going to focus on the unity message and he's going to parlay that into a statement of working with the Democrats, working with the Democrat leadership. And I don't think that his base is ready to hear that. Hmm. Aaron, it's just focusing on jobs numbers. I mean, that it would be technocratic, technocratic Mm -hmm. people. If the economy is this good, then people probably already have a job or have a raise or what have you, and they're going to be expecting, what are you doing for me lately, or what have you done for me lately? We already know the economy is good, so stop talking about it. Let's let's have a little bit more. It, it would be technocratic, uh, it would be sleep-inducing, and it would just, I think, tick people off. Why am I turning off, um, you know, North Dogwood Tech versus uh, Norwood State to watch this? So let me tell you what my concern would be, and what I would, what I would pound the table for if I were alone with the president. Give in to your urges to provoke the Democrats. Give in to them. Give in to, you want, you want to see, you want to see Ocasio-Cortez or he'll get up and walk out. You want 20 million people to see that on Tuesday. You want that. Okay. Agreed. But choose the right vehicle. Yes. For what you are using to provoke them. Provoke them on a policy, not on a persona. Because this election, your re-election, Mr. President, is going to be won or lost by your ability to make suburban women voters decide. What do they hate most? Your Twitter account or infanticide open borders where criminals can come in and rape, kill. See what I'm saying? Oh yes. You want that's if you if 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 you force suburban women to make that decision, you can win re-election and can win a pretty resounding one, actually. But if if you don't force suburban women to make that choice and then it's strictly about your persona, you're going to lose and you're going to lose badly. So, yes, provoke them. You'll never get a better opportunity probably between now and Election Day 2020 than to do it right now. Provoke them with the flag behind you, Americana, the 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 bully pulpit of the presidency in its full glory. Yes, do that. But do it because you're standing up for principles the American people care about rather than a urination contest. You, that would be what I would pound the table for. You are for. exactly describing Tom Cruise forcing uh, Nicholson's Colonel yes. Jessup to say, yes. you're damn right I ordered the code yes. red. That is exactly what yes. just happened. That's what that questioning in Virginia did. Yeah. Yep. It for, yeah, she, you, it forced Delicate Tran to say, you're damn right, we're going to issue the code red and kill a kid after you've actually given birth to it. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I would allow that. You oh, bet. if you could get her to walk out and many out on that. Good yep. grief. Wow. Exit question. I'm putting the over under on the bump Trump's approval rating will get in the RCP average, about which will take about a week for it to take hold. I'm going to put uh, the bump his approval rating will get in the RCP average at three points following this speech. That's the line. You bet in the over or the under, Erzin? Is this not? You're the geek about this. Do you know historically? Is this an average? You no, don't. I just, okay, I just and, and I just said it based on if I were okay. the odds maker, how I would okay. make it. Yeah, uh, under, under, Shannon. I think Trump has lost the fire in his belly. I think it's going to be muted and kind of boring and not so great. So I'm going to give it under. Aaron, I'm going to give it under. Issue three, who's more racist, Mary Poppins or Gandalf? 
It's not the first time racism against orcs has been written about. The Times of London published a story in November of 2018. More recently, however, Wired magazine has been recycling another story about J.R.R. Tolkien's supposed whitewashing of anti-orc bigotry. The Wired story quotes somebody named Andy Duncan, who's supposedly a fantasy fiction author, who says, quote, It's hard to miss the repeated notion in Tolkien that some races are just worse than others, or that some people are just worse than others. And this seems to be, in the long term, if you embrace this too much, it has dire consequences for yourself and for society. So yes, J.R. Tolkien was a racist because the protagonists of The Lord of the Rings wanted to wipe out the literal henchmen of evil in that world in order to protect that world from all that was good in the world. So yeah, that that really checks out. In other weird news, uh, the New York Times ran with an essay this week entitled Mary Poppins and a Nanny's Shameful Flirting with Blackface. The author, Daniel Pollock Pelsner, says... Well, I got to that part of the story when I realized that the essay is less of an essay and more of a giant helping of word salad. And the bottom line is that this author thinks that Mary Poppins is flirting with racism because when she comes up the chimney, she's covered with soot, which makes it look like blackface. And man, this is no way to live. It's not, but let's play along anyway. Who's more racist, Todd? Gandalf or Mary Poppins? What say you? I think on the surface, you go with Mary Poppins, but then you dig a little bit more and you realize you're- Come on, man. It's the white wizard? Your own- Yeah, it's- Come on, bro. But you realize, I mean, not once, the success of his white privilege, for me, never once in my life until this moment to consider the orc side of the story Mm -hmm. more legitimately. Man, did he- I mean, that is- I mean, forget- Though it's the white combined with the wizard. I mean, he kindly did the a white lot, wizard uh, against these uh, the, these shady yeah. looking beings who bleed and fraud black See, coloring. Up and come on, man! It's it, it's been hidden in plain sight all this time. Up until this moment on this issue, I have been the king of Rohan under that spell. I just haven't been able to see. <laughs> now I can see. Thank you. The soot from your eyes has been removed. Yes, it has. I see what you see. What I did there. Shannon, who's more racist? And you must choose. Go. You know, I'm an earnest girl. And so I do research on these topics. And uh, so I got about three paragraphs into the New York Times article because I really wanted to decide which one was more racist. And I read about three paragraphs and then decided I would rather stick a pencil in my eyeball socket than waste another brain cell or moment of my time even thinking about any of this. Because it's all so inane and so stupid. And it's and it's crap like this that we that we're forced to address that takes our attention off the things that actually matter so i was triggered thank you very much steve uh (laughs) irritated me and that's all i'm gonna say about that i'm triggered by that picture look i mean gandalf right now is gandalf the gray he's got some pepper in that beard right okay and and what 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 happens how do we know he's obtained his ultimate heroic form is he's what he's all white white boy and he's wearing like a white sheet right yeah Come on. It's true. I can't believe you guys, we missed this all this time. I we, know. We suck at this, okay? Um, exit question. If your comfort level with your white privilege were a Beatles song, which Beatles song would it be? A, happiness is a warm gun. <laughs> B, I feel fine. Meaning you prayed about your white privilege and you feel real good about where you're at right now. C, help. 
Somebody help me do something about this. D, carry that weight. Me, I, 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 this is the cross we all must bear. Todd. Uh, most days I'm B, some days I'm A. I thought you'd be all happiness is a warm gun, actually. Aaron. I am the walrus. Nice. Shannon. I feel fine. I feel fine. You feel, you're okay with where you're at right now? Yeah. Cuckoo, kachoo? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. All right, force prediction as we close it out this week. Give me your Super Bowl 53 prediction. Who wins? Aaron, go. Um, this is more wishful thinking than anything, but I think the odds, not that this will happen, but I think the odds that uh, Bill Belichick and or Tom Brady uh, retire after this are greater if they win. So I'm going to go Patriots 34, Rams 31. Shannon. I don't pay attention to any of this, so I don't. <laughs> Make a pick then. Pick. Patriots 34, Rams 31. Are you guys serious? <laughs> what, that was is that my your, pick. That was? That's my pick. It's in the email. Ah, yes. That's my pick is the Patriots 34, Rams 31. Can't expect us to do any show prep, Steve. Come on. Todd, what's your pick for Sunday? Say so this This was just – oh, well, I got, I'm going with the uh, Rams 31 to 20. There's the flip side of them always being there. They uh, barely got – they lost last year to a backup quarterback, and they had to pull out a miracle two years ago. It's time that they lose and lose hard. All right. Shannon, good to see you. Have a great weekend, all right? Thanks, guys. So we say goodbye to Shannon, but not to the rest of you. We have one more hour to go here on The Blaze. It is Feedback Friday when we return. Stay tuned. And greetings back with hour two live and on demand on the blaze. I am Steve Dace. He's Todd. That's Aaron. They join me each and every weekday here as well. Hey, if you're listening to the podcast today, first of all, thank you for carving out some of your time uh, to check us out, no matter where you are or when you are choosing to tune in, tune in or how. But if you are listening to us today via podcast, if you've got a few extra minutes, because who doesn't have a few extra of those, right? If you could leave us a five-star review, we would appreciate it, whether you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, whichever is the podcasting platform of your choice, those five-star reviews. Now, that's if you like the show. Don't lie if you don't. But if you like the show, those really help us to find more people like you, the more of those we get. And want to thank all of you that have left us uh, those positive thumbs-up reviews so far. And you know, one of the things we like to do with our show here is support people that are taking stands for what's right in the culture that increasingly wants to uh, turn towards what is wrong. One such individual that we're helping to support right now is Miss Victoria Hurst. She's taking one of the tougher stands you can take, which is against your own family. She is descended from William Randolph Hearst, one of the great tycoons in American history, and she's concerned about the direction her family has taken one of its big properties, Cosmopolitan Magazine, in recent years. Uh, that Cosmo has become more and more uh, overtly, shall we say, adult-oriented uh, in its content, uh, and yet they continue to market it to daughters like Todd's or mine and yours. Uh, and she's saying, hey, I I'm not even going to ask for censorship or anything of that nature. How about we just start with a good, reasonable first step here? How about some better stewardship? So if you all want to turn uh, Granddaddy's publication into another Playboy, cool. But maybe we could then, uh, if it's going to be an adult magazine, 
then it ought to be treated like Playboy and other adult magazines. And that's shielded in public from public view from children. And she's hoping to raise uh, enough voices in unison with her to get her family's attention. So a lot of you ask me all the time, hey, what can we do? We're busy, et cetera. What can we do other than vote? Here's something you can do. Uh, just lend your voice to hers at Cosmo Hurts Kids. That's H-U-R-T-S. CosmoHurtsKids.com. That's CosmoHurtsKids.com. All right, let's get to Feedback Friday. And we're going we're gonna to mingle Feedback Friday with uh, some truth bombs today uh, in honor of my new book out right now, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies, Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise, available everywhere, including Amazon.com. Go get your copy right now, my kids. Do it for the children, mine, because they're planning on Daddy delivering a Disney vacay this year, and I can't do it alone. Going to need your ample help to pull that one off, all right? And if you've had a chance to read the book and you like it, that's another place where you can leave us a five-star review at Amazon.com. A lot of you have done that already. I've been trying to keep up. Thank you very much to all of you who have gotten a copy, who have left us a five-star review. Now, if you haven't gotten your copy yet, it's not too late because we're going to start going and doing a weekly study on the book beginning with Monday's show, and this is a way that you can study along. So Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies, Conservatives Believe, to Our Own Demise, endorsed by Ben Shapiro, Mark Levin, Glenn Beck, Matt Walsh, who I hate right now because it's only February 1, and Matt Walsh wrote something, I am pretty sure I won't come up with anything as good in the next 10 months as please stop murdering children undocumented infants who are just trying to cross the border safely uh, of the birth canal. That that hook. Nailed it. Devastating. I mean, I, undocumented infants was trending worldwide on Twitter yesterday. I mean, that, so um, that was exceedingly well done by Matt Walsh using all of their arguments that are that are fake in one context and then hanging them by them for real in another. That's that's uh, that's genius argumentation there by Matt Walsh. So while I hate him right now, I am very proud that he did still choose to endorse my latest book. I want to have our truth bomb portion of Feedback Friday today be in um, response to a, two responses I've gotten a lot to yesterday's Theology Thursday about loving our enemies. What does that look like? And these aren't the only two email. I, we've gotten a lot of feedback about this. But these two are kind of your archetypes of a lot of the reaction I've received. And this first one, um, out of deference to her, I'm going to leave um, her name out of this, okay? But um, I've gotten a lot of emails just like this one. What you guys talked about yesterday hit really close to home for me too. I got pregnant at 17 and kept my daughter and my life didn't turn out exactly as I had envisioned. My daughter got pregnant at 18 by a boy when she was an exchange student in a foreign country. She came home knowing there would be no father and her full scholarship would be forfeit. I supported her by encouraging her to have an abortion. Years later, I've asked for forgiveness for my sin, but my daughter will now never be able to have children. I just thank God that he loves me and forgave me, but I'm never going to have grandchildren. The mistakes we make when we don't understand the truth can be devastating. 
I got several emails like this from people yesterday. Just kind of bearing their soul about what they did when they made soulless decisions early in life, like what I was talking about in my own life yesterday. And here's truth bomb number one for Feedback Friday this week. We often look at the decisions we make and forget or the issues we debate even. And and we forget the real world consequences of them. When Delegate Tran is talking about, yeah, I mean, if the woman's dilating, we can kill a kid right there. And when Governor Northam is like, uh, well, yeah, you know, the baby will be born and comforted. And, uh, you know, we'll just let the mom decide if she wants to kill it after that or not. That's a, that's a real person. That, that's a real person. I talked at last hour about Ashton Kutcher sharing the video that went viral last year of the Special Olympian who testified with Down syndrome before Congress to say, hey, you guys just throw this language in there. I'm a person. I, I, this is, I'm, not, I'm not a formula. I'm not a talking point. I, I'm, I'm the result of actions that actually resulted. Our peer here at The Blaze, John Miller, tweeted out earlier today, I'm just going to disqualify myself from everyone in public office right now. I think abortion ought to be illegal in every single circumstance, rape or incest. You know, you've been around me, Todd, when, when I've been around politicians and their so-called exceptions, and I don't take very kindly to it. And you know why I don't take very kindly to their exceptions? Because in my family, I've got generations of dysfunction and abuse on every end of my family. I can point to a name in my family rape, incest, that person wouldn't, wouldn't be here right now if we treated them like an exception as opposed to like a person. And what this particular listener is sharing with us in this email and what several of you who share, shared your pre- previous life experiences, regrets, et cetera, um, along the exact same lines is while there is no more condemnation with God's forgiveness, we can't escape the consequences of our actions. We may escape the eternal condemnation for them because God through his son paid the penalty for us in that regard that we deserve. But the, but the natural consequences of those actions are not undone. Time is not reversed. Superman doesn't fly around the earth backwards in order to rectify a wrong. The consequence remains. The condemnation is gone. You have to carry that guilt with you forever. Praise God for that. But the consequences remain. And here's this listener saying, I'm living, I'm gonna live with those consequences. Rest of my life, praise Jesus, I'm forgiven. But I think you can even tell when you just heard me reading the email, there's a, there's still a little hole there in the heart that a grandchild that would have brought you a lot of joy won't be able to bring because we made these decisions without realizing how decisive they might be. And I think we're going to need to do more of this in our activism. I, I think we're going to need to make this a much more and I wouldn't say emotional, I would say personal 
a much more personal plea to the culture. Do you and have you been made aware of the consequences that can ensue from this? I'm not talking about statistics or studies. I'm talking about here's what happened in my life. And then you share what happened in yours. This is something I think is missing from a lot of our activism. And I think it's a strategic evolution we're going to have to make in the era in which we are now entering into. We are entering into a pagan era. You are Paul at Ephesus. Mars Hill. You are in the midst of a pagan culture. And it's you're not going to be able to just throw dog whistles out there for the silent majority anymore to come hither the first Tuesday in November. That's not going to work. You don't have the numbers. We have to win more people over. And, you, and, and people are won over. I love philosophy. I love data. I use them a ton in my show. I, I think they're our friends. And they can be used to help you win the case. But inevitably, human beings are human beings. The people are people. They're not algorithms or formulas. And I think we're going to have to learn how we're going to share the personal touch to reinforce the studies and the logic and the philosophy that we often like to cite as conservatives. I'm not talking about a purely emotional appeal. I'm talking about a relational appeal. That's what I'm talking about, a connection. I've been where you are. I know what you're thinking right now. My, my life is not a Pleasant Valley Sunday. I'm not a stereotype. And I want to make sure um, I clarify something from yesterday's conversation as well. This is from Dwayne. And I got several emails along this line too. It says, you know, I watched yesterday and I can understand what you guys are saying but I, about loving your enemies. But I, I, I also think that I can fight these people that believe in killing babies with all I have. This is a spiritual fight we are in. The pro-choice people are being deceived. I think your anger the day before was justified and that we need to do whatever we can to stop this. I do not hate them, but they need to be defeated. I think of it this way. If I saw someone standing over a baby ready to kill it, I would not contemplate how I need to love them and think of my sins that would equate to what they want to do. I would do everything in my power to stop them. I think your way of thinking today shows weakness to the pro-choice side. We have all stood by too long and watched the murder of millions of babies. First of all, loving your enemies. Weakness is inherent to the human species. Many of us, I mean, we don't have to, when was the last time you heard a parent say, maybe your parent said this to you, Todd. Did you ever have your parents set you aside and say, hey, honey, I need you to be a little bit weaker. I need you to um, be more subservient. Um, I need you to be willing um, uh, to do the hard thing even less than you already are. How often, I mean, you do competitive athletics with your kids all the time, right? I mean, you played competitive athletics. How, how often have you watched a parent have to console their child to be weaker? How often does that come up? Uh, in my frame of reference, it does not. No, why? 
because we're pretty good. At we're pretty good. We... We're pretty good at copping out. Don't you think we're pretty good at copping out? Indeed. Indeed. So right away, I, I think this is the reason loving your enemies is hard is because it requires an, an, a, a unique for this world strength of character that you cannot do of your own power. Okay. But I want to make sure I'm, I'm clear on what we talked about yesterday. And I think it goes to something I've talked about when I've uh, preached in churches or spoken at events. What is love? A lot of people will tell you that love is an action. Um, that's what a lot of conservatives will tell you. Even a lot of Christians will say that. Or, and, and you'll hear a lot of uh, progressives or liberals say that, you know, basically, when you ask them what is love, what they'll describe is an emotion. I don't think it's either one of those things. I think the emotions and actions it produces stems from what love actually is. Love is a motivation. I mean, the scriptures say God is love. Was God love when he sent the sulfur down on Sodom and Gomorrah? Was he love? Yes. Was he love when he sent his son to die on the cross for the as, as a ransom for many? Was, was that love? Yes. Was, was God love when he told the Israelites, go into Canaan, you're my ultimate urban renewal program, and completely remove these devil seven devil-worshipping uh, peoples from the land and claim it for yourself? Was that love? Yep. Yeah. Was it love when God said, "You, my, now that you are in the promised land, you are to be a light to all nations? Was that love? Indeed. Indeed. Okay, so God was love in all those situations. Now, in our finite minds— these seem like contradictions. In the Christian worldview, it is, it is assumed the believer can multitask. And, the, and the, term, the, the, the term it uses to describe this is discernment. And this theme is used throughout. When I was a child, I thought, spoke and reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I set aside childish things. Uh, do not be conformed to the thoughts and patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a notion, one of the reasons that unbelievers struggle with Christianity is its inherent tension. And they view the tension as a contradiction. Well, I mean, is God imminent or is he transcendent? Does God send, does God, you know, if, how does it, why does a living God send people to hell? And yet he died for sinners at the same time. The, the unregenerate mind struggles to balance these things. Because if you've followed political Twitter the last few years, we really have a hard time assuming more than one thing can be true at a time. And that if you don't immediately affirm everything I say right now, there is no other reason why you might think something differently other than you hate me. Which is why over the last two and a half years, I have been both a, a never Trump cuck and a Trump shill um, who's lost all my principles approximately 10,000 times. Simultaneously. Simultaneously, yeah. Because the unregenerate mind struggles with this level of discernment. But it is assumed in the Christian worldview because you have something uh, what Jesus called the helper. Literally, the Spirit of God is actively at work in not, well, the Spirit of God is at work in all of creation. But for you as a believer now, who's restored that relationship with your Creator, God's Spirit is directly involved in the thoughts, actions that you have every day, in the motivations that you have every day. And so it is assumed 
that you can you can practice discernment. That you can be in the world and not of it. That you can love the love the sinner and hate the sin. These things are assumed. That you can be forgiven while also be repentant of the sins you've already been forgiven from that you're committing right now and will commit in the future. It is assumed now because you have a part of your being that, that's been off. Like literally off. The power hasn't been on. And now suddenly, now it's on. Now you're, now, now you're revving up to be a fully armed and operational battle station. It is assumed you can discern and multitask and see the world as a mosaic rather than as uh, I only can see two and then the plus sign and then the two and then the four sign at a time. It, 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 you've taken your first steps into a larger world. That's what's assumed. And so I, I under no condition did I mean yesterday to communicate. Loving your enemies means unilaterally surrendering to them. And I, I made a mistake in assuming I wasn't going to have to articulate that. So that's my bad. And I made that mistake because this was under the guise or we were having this conversation under how do I, how, how do, what do I do with the bitterness and the spite? Because here's the thing. Wanting to defeat your enemies doesn't mean that you hate them. One of the, th- one of the best things Trump said in his entire presidency and maybe it is the best thing that he said, articulates the point I'm trying to make right now. When he said, rich and powerful people do not build walls outside their homes because they hate the people outside the walls, but because they love the people on the inside. We do not seek to defeat the enemies of good because we hate them. Because such as once were us. While we were sinners, while we were God's enemy, he died for us. I was God's enemy till September 18, 2003. He still died for me well over 2,000 years before that. So we seek to defeat our enemies not out of hatred for our enemies, but out of a love for what is good, beautiful, and true. If you seek to defeat your enemies out of a hatred for them, there is a religion for you. Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Iran some of the places where that view is really popular. The goal of the Christian faith ultimately is to turn God's enemies into his sons and daughters. It's the reunification. It's the reuniting, the reconnection, the restoration. That's the ultimate goal. So while that is the ultimate goal, there remains a hell because the reality is none would choose him. There are none righteous. All have sinned and gone astray. Jesus tells a parable of a man who says, who's in hell and says, hey, let me, can you let me out temporarily so I can go to my loved ones and say, don't make the mistake I made and end up where I'm at. And he says, I don't know. I mean, they didn't believe Father Abraham. They didn't believe Moses, the prophet. And I'm, they're, not, they're probably not even going to believe a man who died and rose again. So I don't know why they'd believe you. That's why there's a hell. Most don't want to believe. And so the motivation here is key. In my human mind, do I think the odds Delegate Tran in Virginia 
could one day become a momentous pro-life activist that, and, and her transformation is what ends this infanticide and debate once and for all. In my human finite mind, what do I think the odds of that are? Nil to infinitesimal would be my answer. But I also don't have the power to raise the dead to life. I don't have the power to take a man who the first time we see him in the scriptures, his name is Saul, and he's holding the, the clothing so that those who want to stone the first martyr to death don't get, uh, don't get, you know, don't get blood, his blood on their, uh, on their tunics. And then when we next see him, he is now going to be the, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. I don't have the power to do that. You have the power to do that? Yeah. No. Now, that doesn't mean we let Delegate Tran off the hook because— there may be no such plan for a transformation in her life. And we have freedoms and liberties and the goal of government. By the way, the Paul that, that was the agent of that transformation writes in Romans 13 what the role of government is to bring the sword of righteousness against such evildoers. So again, this is where the multitask comes in. The assumption is that if you have a New Testament view of the world, you you can see the world as it is. Not as you prefer it to be or want it to be or were only previously capable of. That you were once a child and now you're an adult. You have discernment. So I will do everything within God's authority and ethics to defeat Delegate Tran and her viewpoint as I possibly can. I don't have, I don't think... If, if you believe, I've gotten emails this week. Do, Steve, do you think we're at the point of civil disobedience? I don't have a problem with any of that. But civil disobedience is where we're trying to convince. This is where we do get into Martin Luther King territory. Hate is too heavy of a burden. That's why we choose love. That's Civil disobedience is out of love. First of all, for your creator. I will obey God and not man. And then secondly, you embody that obedience in a way that you hope and pray will move the civil authority to be obedient to its master as well. But we don't bomb abortion clinics. We're not jihadists. We're not, we, it is by any means necessary. That, that most famous communicator of that notion in American culture belonged to the nation of Islam. By any means necessary is not a Christian ethic. It is not. And as a, as a Christian, I'm not permitted to do evil so that good may come. In fact, I'm specifically forbidden from it. I'm condemned for doing so. I am not allowed to just return fire for fire. Because the fire comes from hell. Hell doesn't repel hell. Beelzebub doesn't cast out Beelzebub. That, you know, that doesn't mean being flaccid. Man, read through your New Testament. Paul is just dropping dimes on people left and right. Peter's like, dude, I'll, I'll take it upside down, thanks. So this isn't about weakness. This is about Strength. But strength doesn't come from using the exact same tactics from the bowels of hell that are used against us. So I want to make that point very clear. 
That's yesterday we were talking about a motivation. I need to remember that Jesus died for Delegate Tran like he died for me. Jesus died for Andrew Cuomo like he died for me. Jesus died for Margaret Sanger like he died for me. So the way this works is it's like the credo of the American Revolution. We fight like it's up to us and we pray like it's up to him. Okay? So we don't hate our enemies so that we send them the message that the same grace given to us is not available to them. But we fight them in a way that may convict them that they're in need of that grace. And then if they don't accept it, hell is hot and it is forever. You guys have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, really really quickly too. Uh, I want to take uh, the letter writer up on his visual of an abortionist standing over a baby and, and what you would do to stop it. You should stop it. Um, but uh, in, the, in the moment we have with Tron, the governor of Virginia, the governor of New York, what can we do in this moment and every moment right now as an act of strength? We can pray for them. If you hate them, you won't pray for them. If you love them, love your enemies as yourself, you will, and you will be using your mightiest weapon to stop this. We'll come back. More Feedback Friday here in a moment. Stay tuned. So I'm excited to tell you again about uh, my new best friend from dawn to dusk by uh, Brickhouse Nutrition. It's their all-natural energy supplement. And we have had ear infections and strep. This is, it's actually gone through our home now twice, twice in the last month and a half. Everybody's gotten this, but me. So I'm, I'm, my body's trying to slowly but surely catch something. Yeah, you know, a little sinus infection here, a little sore throat there. So, you know, I'm, I'm pounding the vitamin C, vitamin D, the natural thing, because uh, you know, last year was the first year I successfully and naturally beat my annual sinus infection because I'm big on using antibiotics as little as possible because the first word is anti. Uh, so uh, I get up this morning, my body's pretty run down, fighting this stuff off naturally. But I got to get my workout in. So guess what I popped in on the way to the gym? It's kickboxing day. Popped in uh, one of my from dawn to dusk. I'm just going to say, no way I'd have gotten through it today. If I did, I would have found every excuse to not go today. So I'm a big believer in this. Uh, I use it on a regular basis. And what I love about it too is it's, again, this is the way nature, the creator intended. Okay. This is not one of those things you buy at a gas station uh, and uh, you turn it over and you can't pronounce 99% of the ingredients. This is a booming industry right now. Uh, a lot of people, uh, because a lot of the stuff, the way we eat, the lack of exercise, a lot of us get, uh, the schedules we're trying to keep, burning the candle at both ends, looking for energy. Uh, and you're working Penub in all the wrong places, uh, Buckwheat. Here's where you need to look, all right? Dawn to dusk, Brickhouse Nutrition. Go to the website, BrickhouseSteve.com. BrickhouseSteve.com is the website. Use my name, promo code Steve. You'll get 15% off of your first order today. BrickhouseSteve.com, promo code Steve. And you're looking, they got a lot of great stuff there, but the energy uh, supplement you're looking for, dawn to dusk from Brickhouse Nutrition. All right, let's get back to Feedback Friday. Uh, And uh, this is in response to my analysis today 
uh, about Howard Schultz and, and why I think he hurts Trump only, if anybody. Well, first of all, I don't think he's going to be on the ballot. But if he were to make it on the ballot 641 days from now, why I th- think he hurts Trump and not uh, the Democratic nominee, contrary to the conventional wisdom. And I gave data to indicate why. But here's a contrarian view. Uh, this is from Tim Keith. Uh, who says, uh, what you're missing is that during a theoretical campaign matchup with Howard Schultz as an independent, he will be more effective than Trump in exposing the position of the Democratic candidate as a far leftist. And that will benefit Trump. Here is how I would respond to him. And then you guys tell me, because I think he's making a good point. Okay. I, I, I mean, I, that's why I'm talking about it on the air. I, I don't think this lacks merit. But let me tell you why I don't agree and then you guys decide. You guys are the jury. You and you and uh, Aaron Todd. Okay. The reason why is the issues where he has the opportunity to do that, and this goes to what Aaron said last hour. He doesn't have a constituency. See, the issues where he's got the best chance to do that are the culture war issues, and he's not going to touch those with a twenty-nine thousand foot pole. He's not going to touch those. Uh, the the economy is in much better shape right now than it was heading into the 1992 election cycle. Wages are up, new job claims are up. by by any by any traditional metric that folks feel in their own homes, the the cost of gas, et cetera. By any traditional metric that folks feel good about an economy, it's in better shape for Trump heading into this cycle than it was for George H.W. Bush heading into 1992, plus Trump cut taxes, Bush raised them. So with the economy off the table, from a, from a, from a worldview standpoint, with the economy off the table, that's going to leave the culture war issues. And I don't think he's going to go anywhere near those. So I, I understand where you're coming from, Tim, but I think the, the, the election environment is different than it was in 1992. We're, we're not going to, we don't need, there's not going to be mass charts. You know, so maybe may, Howard Schultz, I'm sure maybe will have something to say about tariffs, for example. But, uh, you know, people feel a lot better about the economy than they did in 1992 when Ross Perot was buying 30 minutes of airtime for infomercials about, you know, what was going on economically. Nobody cares about the deficit. That was one of Perot's big things. People don't care about the deficit anymore. I don't care. It's just not a voting issue for the vast. The, even it's not something that drives the almost anybody to go and vote. Is the deficit? It was a big concern in 1992. That was the reason Bush agreed to raise taxes. It was supposed to be a dollar eighty towards deficit reduction for every dollar of taxes raised. And of course, they didn't keep their word. Aaron's laughing at this now. What kind of logic were you guys using back then? Well, <laughs> thank you. Youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> Or the old. Uh, if youth is wasted on the young, common sense is wasted on the old. Yes, we should have maybe realized that at the time. So I, I don't think the issues where he is likely to draw a contrast are issues that really are, are ones that he can stake out a claim for himself. It's going to be the cultural issues that he'll, I think, avoid with a 10-foot pole. That's my take. What do you think, Todd? Yeah, I got the impression that he was saying just based on his mere presence there, having somebody else to look at, that he he's going to make 
uh, them look extreme. They're going to look extreme all by themselves. He's he's going to have to do more than that. He's going to have to actually be good at exposing them. And remember, this is the guy who thought up, like, what, with a coffee cup, Reese is saying, you know, let's start a conversation. And that just absolutely boomerang back and just destroyed them for a while. He's not going to be good at this. So um, he's not... He's not the man for it's possible in theory for you, what you're suggesting to happen if so, a man totally out of time showed up and wanted to like Steve said like Superman like we're going back suddenly 20 years I I don't think that man exists I like that Tim is thinking through this critically mm-hmm. but um I yes there's there's not enough uh there's not the, the big story here. If if he is on the ballot, is one percent how many votes he might get, and ninety nine percent how many votes he costs Trump. The ninety nine percent the the big deal the bigger deal is how many votes he might cost Trump. Um, I don't think there's really going to be any uh, effect on the debate stage. Um, he might actually even look like the grown up in the room, which would hurt Trump with the voters who might vote. For, uh, for Trump versus Schultz. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, again, even in a debate setting, uh, even even just kind of playing between the two uh, nominees, I still think that that actually hurts Trump more than it uh, than it hurts the Democrats. I think at this point, if you're voting Democrat, you either are disinterested, uninformed. And can't be convinced otherwise. Or you have made up your mind about capitalism. I, I, I don't I don't know how many Democratic voters there are that are like, well, you know, I was uh, I was thinking of voting Democrat, and then you know they told me capitalism was bad. You've either you've made your peace with this already. You either agree that capitalism is bad or you don't care about capitalism. You just care about I, the Democrats make sure I get my cut. Or you can't you can't be driven to vote on that issue. Not to mention, what's your all? The Republicans aren't for capitalism; they're for corporatism. So, if you're gonna if you're gonna if Schultz is gonna stand up there and say, "I'm gonna make the principled capitalistic argument," he ain't taking votes away from Spartacus with that. He's gonna convince the 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 Weekly Standard people they've got a candidate after all. That's what's going to happen. So I, I, I don't foresee a scenario because of the issues he's going to want to run on. Um, I, where, there, here's where there is room for a third-party candidate. Someone who's for big government and is moderate to conservative on social issues. That's where, and you know why I know there's a market for a third-party candidate like that? Because <laughs> we, we just had one, and his name was Donald Trump. And he brought millions of people who uh, into the Republican open primary system who previously voted for Obama, and they helped him win the nomination. And then he won 6.7 to 9.2 million people, depending on which study of the exit polling you look at, of people that either that voted at least once for Obama voted for him. I mean, if you're, if you're for abortion on demand, there is no argument Trump could have made to get you to vote for him. None. None. Because if you're for abortion on demand, you're voting on that. There's no one in America, literally no one who's like, you know, I kind of think I'm for abortion on demand, but I don't really care. No, no, no. 
If you're for abortion on demand, you're voting on that issue. You're activated on that issue. And there is nothing Donald Trump could have said, as long as there was an R after his name, to convince you otherwise. That's why it was terrible strategy for Romney to run pro-choice ads in Iowa, Virginia, Minnesota, and several swing states, convincing them that I'm fine if you want to kill your child if you were raped or a victim of incest. Here's why it was a terrible strategy. Anybody that was going to be moved by that Anybody, anybody's, anybody that's moved by, I want more access to abortion, was never going to vote for Mitt Romney. He needed to find other reasons to convince them. The minute he talked about, I'm for more access to abortion, anybody receptive to that was already voting for Obama. He was turning out the other side's voters with that message. Most of what Republican consultants claim is out there doesn't exist. And, you know, they're either wrong or liars, and I've known plenty that have been one or both. So there is a place for a third-party candidate who wants you know, a strong, centralized government. Basically, I'm describing Alexander Hamilton. So somebody wants strong, centralized government and traditional moral values, and you have that kind of candidate right now in Trump. That's why I don't believe there will be a viable third-party candidate in the next election. A viable, because that's, because he occupies the space right now where one would exist. And that's how he won the nomination. One of the reasons why, along with help from the media and people fed up with years of GOP betrayals. If you are concerned about bake the cake bigot, you already have a candidate for that. His name's Donald Trump. So if you look at all the potential issues where Howard Schultz could differentiate him or is willing to differentiate himself, it would be, I'm going to make a more principled uh, capitalistic argument than Trump. I'm a real I'm a real entrepreneur. I came out of the projects, as you said in the clip that Aaron played earlier. I came up out of nowhere. My daddy didn't give me a million dollar uh, loan out of Wharton School of Business. I'm a nobody. Well, you know who's receptive to that message? Bill Crystal, Mitt Romney. There is literally no one in November of 2020. Who's like, if, you know, pick a Democrat, Joe Biden, Spartacus, Kamala Harris. They're like, you know, I don't know. I was going to vote for the gal who prosecuted the people who pointed out that uh, Planned Parenthood was selling baby parts illegally. But then I really heard this principled argument on capitalism for Howard Schultz. And I'm just going to totally, no, that, 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 nope, nope. So, um, I, that's, that's why I, the conventional wisdom on this is wrong. And I'm not really sure what's driving so much progressive angst about this. Um, except my theory, because if, if I were countering my argument on this, this is what I would say. Steve, if you're right, you don't, Steve, does any, should, does any, do you expect us to believe that you care more about Democrats winning than they do? So why are they so worked up about this guy? Now that'd be a good counter argument. That's the counter argument I would use against the argument I just made. Okay. Here, here would be my counter to my counter argument. The left has convinced themselves, particularly in the social media world and in the mainstream media world, people like us largely do not exist. So, and they believe culturally, they, they believe the culture is with them on all these culture war issues. They believe this because they largely are surrounded by people that are with them on the culture war issues. They think that... It's not just, we view it as propaganda because we can't believe it's this simplistic. 
And some of it is. But they really aren't around. You've used this anecdote. It's one of the most famous political anecdotes of the 20th century. After Nixon's mauling of McGovern in 72, the biggest landslide since the one in 60, nobody thought we'll ever see a, a route like what uh, LBJ did to uh, Barry Goldwater in 64. Well, you saw it uh, two cycles later. Complete and total route. And what's the anecdote? The woman gets in the elevator in Manhattan and says, I don't know anybody that voted for Nixon. Yeah. In the world that these people live in, you know, between Los Angeles and LaGuardia, they cannot envision that there's an America where American Sniper makes $300 million at the box office. And therefore, they have the, the, the debased mind is only given two, only gives itself two choices. When it's faced with this idea that there might be people of conviction that don't share my own, it must either be A, these are terrible people. Otherwise, what, why wouldn't you believe this exact same things as me unless you're a terrible person because look how good and special I am or B, said people don't exist. And guys, we see this in their coverage all the time, don't we? Our viewpoint is largely ignored. It's not welcomed. It's not a part of the conversation. It's you're a racist or are you really a racist? Are you kind of a racist or, you know, all in for your racism? Or are you just, you're not there. So they think they won all these culture war issues. And here's the thing, they did just not the way they think that they did. They won them through um, power, coercive hegemony, the, the threat of silencing people. Not because there's a whole, not because um, everybody in my suburb has a rainbow flag in their yard. They don't. They have just been convinced to be silent so they don't get called names. That's how they won it. Not because they won some grand existential debate in the arena of ideas. Uh, they, they won it by putting the proverbial gun to your head. And saying, we dare you to say otherwise. That's how they want it. And so that's why they're in a panic mode. Because they don't see the reality of their own situation. Similar to how we've pointed out, um, they don't want to admit the role they made in creating Donald Trump. Because all these things would require self-awareness. And what is the state of self-awareness in America today, man? It's always four-dimensional. Oh, Uh, (laughs) It's dead. Thank you. What am I going to do with you, McIntyre? <laughs> Man, sometimes I'm not sure if you want to crush my skull or... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Homeowners, beware. A data breach has exposed 24 million of you potentially to home title fraud. Don't be shocked and find out, oh no, that was me, when you go to get that HELOC, that refi. When you go to cash in on your investment, the equity in your home, and then you find out before it's too late or those late notices come in and you're like, where'd these come from? I didn't borrow any money. Or maybe even an eviction notice comes in. Don't let any of that happen to you. Get home title lock, protect your home's title from scammers and thieves because this is a booming criminal industry right now. And if they steal identities, even if they can't fully steal your identity, they can use the information they've taken to go to your county accessor recorder's website and say, yeah, it's me. Here's the last four digits of my social, my checking account number, forge a signature, and now they've got a hold of your home. Prevent that from happening with Home Title Lock. It's just pennies a day. Puts that virtual barrier around your most valuable asset, your own home. And right now you can find out, has someone tried to do this to me for free at HomeTitleLock.com? That's HomeTitleLock.com. Got about a little more than a minute. And I've heard enough from Aaron. So, Todd, I'll go to you. Final thoughts today. 
Uh, my final thoughts are about what I learned uh, last night. Got one of the best tweets of my entire life. A good buddy of mine, a former colleague, known him for a long time, has a rough, rough uh, past. Uh, but he, we talk on a regular basis. He texted me last night. He said, uh, Todd, I'm, I'm going to go with this Jesus guy. Man, do, do the work. It's hard. You don't get the instant gratification every day. You don't see, but man, um, when somebody jumps in the pool, man, that water's fine. Have a great weekend. John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh, 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 oh,